Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, it's Bob Pickett. We're on our way to the legendary Broken Spoke. Come on, let's get out of the truck and head inside. Inside. Get ready for another Tale from the Broken Spoke. Welcome back. Tales from the Broken Spoke. I'm Bob Pickett with Monty Warden. We're sitting right here in the Willie Nelson Engagement Booth, B2, which you can see for yourself if you ever come down to the Spoke, right? And uh, a very interesting show today. Very, It's going to be a very interesting, very educational for me because I'm not a songwriter. I'm on the radio. But hey, I'm blessed to play the records that songwriters write and right. introduce our audience to. So we have got from BMI... Mitch Ballard, thanks for coming in tonight and explaining everything with us. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and um, I have been listening since, well, you know, I discovered it probably six, eight months ago. Really? You like it so I far? We're here. I love it. Yeah. I love it, and I've pretty much listened to every episode now. Now you're I'm making one. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're going to be on the show. BMI, what does BMI stand for? Broadcast Music Incorporated. And basically, for our listeners that don't know, what is it? So we collect the royalties for songwriters and publishers. Okay. Now, sometimes people go, oh, you represent artists, but technically we represent songwriters. And especially down here, 99.9% of the songwriters are also artists as well. So when you look at what we do in Texas, you know, every songwriter that I deal with is an artist as well. And we've got an artist, singer, songwriter. That's right. Great guy right here. And let me just say that is bad for business when people write their own songs. As a songwriter, you hate... When people write their own songs, you don't want them to do that. Why is that? Buddy Holly ruined it for everybody when he said when he could do everything, <laughs> and Bob Dylan made it worse. No, it, it's a uh, songwriters. I mean, the first thirty years of recording was there were songwriters, and they wrote songs, and then there were singers, and they sang those songs that the songwriters wrote, and and the two hardly ever intertwined, and uh, that changed with uh, country music, and that changed with rhythm and blues. When those two things got together, rock and roll. So you you had with rock and roll your first self-contained artist, uh, and and really the the first major major star uh, that wrote and sang his own songs, produced his own records, had his band play on it was Buddy Holly, and and after that the template was that well, let's just get people that are self-contained, and and for me. You know, uh, I have made most of my living and most of my success has been with other singers singing my songs. George Strait, Travis Tritt, George Jones, Josh Turner. And really, the the template for years was, you know, Patsy Cline never wrote. George Strait didn't write to the latter part of his career. Frank Sinatra never wrote. Elvis Presley never wrote. And uh, I, uh, the, the focus on artists being able to write i think one we're trying the music business i mean when i say we trying to turn great singers that are not songwriters into songwriters and that would be like turning a great lineman into a quarterback why would you do that you have a great lineman leave it to the pros i think that's a mistake and we're also trying to turn songwriters into artists and you know best songwriters two best songwriters i ever heard were guy clark and towns van zandt and ain't nobody ever going to confuse them with Tony Bennett and Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Great singers, they were not. But they were some of the best songwriters that ever lived. But they were not, it was not meant for them to be recording artists on the level of an Elvis or a Dean Martin or something. So I actually, I, I will be interested to hear the records that come out in 10 years. I think we're going to see a settling down of the best writers write, the best recording artists record, and... Because right now it's so interesting to me. I'll meet a I'll meet a young uh, recording artist, and they'll just go, "I just, I just, I want, I need to write with you because you write hits and you've sold millions of records, and I just don't know uh, if I have the songwriting thing." And I'll go, "You don't. You either did the day you were born, or you don't. But that is not something you acquire. You can. What I tell people when I do these like symposium stuff, I can turn anybody 
I mean, anybody on the face of the earth, I can turn them into a better songwriter. I can't turn anybody into a good songwriter. God did that the day you were born, or he did not. And if you can't write, but you're a great singer, sing. Don't worry about writing. There are lots of great songs. Like I said, the greatest recording artist of all time, Elvis Presley, never wrote. And I'll tell you what, he didn't lose a minute of sleep. <laughs> well, Mitch, you're not a songwriter, but how did you get involved he with He is a songwriter, and he's you a are? great okay, songwriter. Okay, wait a minute. Okay. I that's love like, this man's song. Well, Tell actually, me more. Well, that's actually how I got into the music business. And, right. and to go back real quick, BMI is a performance rights organization. So what we do is we collect the the performance royalties for songwriters and publishers. You know, it started out as radio and then TV. And as the world changed, it went to streaming and everything now from TikTok to Instagram. Anytime you put music in any of those stories, even Peloton, you know, that uh, has music on it as well. But also, you know, bars, restaurants. Restaurants and venues right. as well. They've been, you know, we collect those royalties as well since uh, the beginning. But everything yeah, that's I'm, not a, a sold record, right? Everything yeah, that's yeah. not a everything sold that's record. performed. Okay, you turn yep. it on and hear it. BMI and ASCAP and CSAC collect the money for songwriters and publishers. That's got to be hard to enforce, though. Yeah, there's you know, certain we, formulas and everything. Yeah, it is, and you know, we have a, a very large team of people who, um, you know, stay on top of that to yeah. make sure that so dedicated. Uh, you know, the music, the money's getting collected and distributed to the to the songwriters. But you know, that's how I got started. I started, you know, I grew up Fairfield, Texas, and all my Ballard family's from Mahia, but my dad. Uh, was, he was a Delta pilot. He wanted to live on the interstate instead of being in Mahia, but he's you know wanted to be close to his parents, so he chose Fairfield. And um, you know, I started playing in bands, started playing guitar, and then playing in bands and writing songs. And and uh, graduated from University of North Texas and decided um, I was in radio at the time. I worked seven years in radio, started in high school while I was picking guitar and such, and decided I wanted to move to Nashville to to. Uh, Write songs and work in the business end of music. Well, do I know yeah. any of your songs that you've written? And no, probably not. Uh, Who, who's but, cut some of your songs? Uh, Danny Lee, Masquerade of a Fool album. Actually, Monty has a song on that as well. Yes, I remember Lee. Danny Lee. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah. you know, Brandy and I met. She was she A and R Danny's first Decca record, and didn't know who the hell I was. But two of my songs on Danny's record, Brandy selected. Danny was almost like a, a female Dwight Yoko. Yeah, yep. You know. yep. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. Two years ago, I had Jeannie Seeley cut one of my songs. Oh, wow. And, and you performed it where, Mitch? She, she performs it on the Grand Old Opry all the time. Yes. And plays it on Willie's Roadhouse. And Jeannie is so cool because, you know, from a kid that grew up down a dirt road in Fairfield, Texas, to have a Grammy Award-winning member of the Grand Old Opry. Um, and she's also a BMI songwriter. To, she is. She always, when she plays that song, she goes, this song was written by two friends of mine, Mitch Ballard and Penn Pennington. And that's just that's cool. That is that. cool. That yeah. is cool. She says it on the Opry. Um, back but, in, but you've picked it on the Opry with her. I have not played with her, but um, my mom and stepdad. It was pretty cool. Back in August of 2019, I played guitar with Gary P. Nunn on the Opry. <laughs> That's right, it's with Gary P. Yep. And um, so my parents at that point, uh, my dad and step, my mom and stepdad were retired, and so I'd played Opry probably a dozen times before with B.J. Thomas back in. You know the early, you know late nineties, early two thousands, um, but they were, you know, they were always working, so it was hard for them to come to Nashville. So, um, I'll Jeannie Seely gets up and plays, and she mentions that I'm there, and I wrote this song, and my parents are in the, are in the uh, audience when she says that. And That's then, cool. That's cool. You know, about twenty five minutes later, I walk out on stage with Gary P. Nunn and play guitar with him, so they got to hear one of my songs. <laughs> so cool. And, you know, by someone that my parents grew up listening to on the radio and uh, then got to see me, you know, perform on the Grand Old Opry stage. And, and how many years did you work with BJ? I was with BJ eight years. Man, you know, when we, let's see, it's in February of 2025, let's have Mitch back on. We need to, yeah. And let's talk about the successful campaign to have BJ Thomas in the Rock and Roll and Country Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. That man de does, he deserves both. Because deserves yeah. 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 let me tell you, that man melded those two genres at a time when they when they weren't being melded. I mean, B.J. Thomas and Rick Nelson did more for creating country rock, giving the world the Eagles and and uh, uh, a lot of stuff that Graham Parsons did, and the Birds and Buffalo Springfield. This is this is stuff that B.J. Thomas was doing in Houston when they didn't even know what to call it, and and I feel that uh, I, I think because he was so good looking. 
And I think that he was so charismatic, and he just he 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 was so such a star that I think country music kind of figured he was a rock and roller, and I think rock and roll kind of figured he was country, and he was just great. But the man could sing anything. He could sing and, anything. And, and he, but let me tell you, not that just he could sing anything. You listen to the chord, his the his arrangement. He took Al Green's arrangement of "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry" and even made it more like a church deal. And uh, I feel B.J. Thomas is one of the great overlooked artists of all time and deserves the full recognition of, of anybody. I'm Mitchell's booking right now to yeah. have you back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, love, I, I hope that happens. And he was such an amazing guy as well. You know, he and I became like brothers. And, uh, you know, I grew up listening to his music. You yeah. know, it's funny. I have, uh, you know, I'm 53. And before I could read... My, uh, my mom would buy me the songs I liked on the radio, and I had the 45 of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, and uh, she would draw a star on the A side because I couldn't read and know what side to, to play. Right. So I'd put the star side up, and I have Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head with the star on it. And BJ was at my house in 2000 because he put wrote 2000 on it, and he said, man, do you have that uh, He said, do you have that 45 of Raindrops <laughs> with the star on it? I said, I do. And he goes, man, I'm going to see it. And I... Pulled it out of my 45 box, and he looked in and he goes, this is so cool. You've had this before you could read. I said, yep. And he reached into his uh, his duffel bag and pulled out a, a Sharpie and autographed it. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That was the first song I ever learned to sing. Man, that whole thing was, man, he, he transcended any genre. He was just great, man. It's almost, like I said, it's almost like the Everly Brothers yeah. or something where you yeah. go, I don't know what that is. It's great. Well, I remember playing, uh, of course, when I first got in radio. And I actually got this as a – this. Is a birthday present when I was a kid. Another somebody done somebody oh, wrong song. Oh, man, what a you great know? song. What a great yeah. song. You know, in, the, in Chip's moment, who was producing him back then, um, you know, Chip's and Bobby Emmons wrote that song, and they also wrote Looking Back, Texas. That was yeah. right around that same I didn't know era. that. Yeah, okay. Chip's was producing uh, Willie, Waylon, BJ, all of that well, at that same six time. Six years previous, Elvis. Yep, six years previous, you know, Elvis. Right. So, you know, he, you know, he produced Suspicious Minds and... And, I could and, spend time with all those guys. Uh, well, and you know, because Chips is responsible for discovering out of just a heap of little uh, reel-to-reel tape showed up from use in Mark James. He wrote Suspicious Minds and mm-hmm. Always on My Mind. Mm-hmm. And Chips just, you know, he was, that kid was just picking blues clubs in Houston. And uh, the guy that gave him uh, the seal of approval, the, the, the thumbs up, was B.J. Thomas. He said, he said, yeah, man, Mark plays guitar for me back in Houston. And, and that's just the kind of guy he was. Not he wasn't building himself up. He just said, "Yeah, this guy's great too." B.J. Thomas is is one of the greatest artists of all time. And and Mitch was his road manager, right? Yep, tour yeah. manager. And then I produced two albums on him that Curb put out. And just, it's incredible. It's just and you know stunning. Well, I hope I hope that that comes true. Then Country Music Hall of Fame oh, as well and as Rock and Roll because he deserves he both deserves them both. Yeah. yeah, he does. I damn totally right. Agree. Yeah. yeah. So you, you were in Nashville. What brought you back to Austin? I know being a Texan, but what brought you back here to open up an office at BMI? So I wasn't working for BMI in in Nashville, but I was looking for a strategic move to get back home to Texas. At that point, I'd been in town, uh, you know, and been in Nashville about twenty six or so years, and I was going back and forth to Austin meeting with different people and, like I said, trying to find a strategic move back. I'm right. like, I had been in Nashville a quarter of a century. I missed Texas. You know, when you're when you're gone, that when you live that far away and, you know, when you toured as much as I did, being gone 250 days out of the year, Monty, you know this, you miss birthdays. Right. You miss aunts and uncles getting older and those times you could have spent with them. Funerals, everything. Yeah, and I wanted to get back and be closer to family. And, um, and before I was retirement age and – um, I had, I'd left Fredericksburg and I know you guys just, you know, talked to Kyle Park not too long ago on it. Yeah, episode. just had a baby. In fact, he yep. named, named the boy Case. That's it. He's a perfect Austin. There name, you go. Right? That's right. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a dear friend. And, um, I had lunch with him in Fredericksburg and left and was driving back. This was 2018, was driving back to the airport, uh, to fly back to Nashville. And when I landed in Nashville, I turned my phone on. There was a text from Kyle. I said, Hey, have you seen this? And it was a press release saying BMI to open an office in Austin. It said Mason Hunter and Jody Williams to do the talent acquisition. At that point, I'd known Mason for a decade and known Jody for several years. And um, 
I reached out and said, I'm to Mason. I said, man, I'm very interested in this job. And, you know, it's a difficult process. It wasn't, hey, we've known you and you're in. I mean, it was, I was up, there was about 500 people that or so I was told that uh, applied for the job. And I was a lucky guy that got it. And so I get the best of both worlds. I get to come back home to Texas. I get to support the, the amazing talent we have in our great state and still get to go back and forth to Nashville and, and keep my connections there. And now I work with our L.A. office, our New York office, our Atlanta office, our London office. And so I'm kind of just, you know, dealing with a little bit of everything. We represent all genres right, for okay. starters. But yeah, it's just music, right? Yeah, but BMI's been coming back and forth to Austin since 1970. Yeah. And I have pictures in our conference room at our office on South Congress of a music business conference that BMI did in 1974. And there's Willie and Connie and Alvin it was and a, it was Francis so Preston. Cre- and So Creek Saloon. Carlin Major, my old manager, got everybody down. She said, y'all need to come check out what's going on in Austin. Yeah, Mike Tollison's in those pictures. I got the pictures from Mike Tollison. I was at his office when I first moved here. I'm like, I need to go meet Mike. And... Um, you know, he uh, he had those pictures on his wall, and he made copies, you know, for me. And so we BMI has really, really deep roots, you know, not only in Austin but in Texas as well. But, yeah. you know, going back and forth, uh, we've been a sponsor of South By since day one, 1987. Um, we have had a stage at ACL Fest um, since the second year. So, And I've got your showcases at the Saxon Pub, which is another great place. Well, and, and let me just here. say this about, about BMI. In regards to uh, Texas, in regards to songwriters in Texas. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, Jody Williams, cat that, that Mitch mentioned, uh, he was, I reckon, head of publisher relations, writer publisher relations when you, you got your gig. Is that correct? He was the vice president yeah, in VP. the Nashville office. Right, yeah. right. And uh, I've known Jody since I was 18 years old. And uh, when I was 18, uh, 19 years old, they came down to see me with my band for the first time. The Wagoneers, this is, I think, our third gig, maybe our fourth gig. And uh, I was playing the hole in the wall here in town. And I was 19. I was still 18, now that I think about it. The guitar player was 25, drummer was 27, bass player was 26. But I'm the baby of the band, and I'm the main guy, and I'm writing everything. So, you know, it's my band. And you have to look at contemporaneous to 1987. A young country act was 40. <laughs> so <laughs> there, was no, there were no teenagers writing and performing traditional country music. There were none. And uh, right away we had a little buzz, and I'm picking at the hole in the wall, and there are literally eight people there. There's 12 people in the building, four of us on stage, <laughs> eight people in the audience. I imagine probably one barmaid, you know. And of the eight people there, three of them were three of the top dogs from BMI, Roger Sovine, Jody Williams, and Kurt Denny. And uh, Mr. Sovine and Kurt Denny all just come from, you know, legendary music families. Right, yeah. Kurt was Kurt's grandpa was Jim Denny, who hired and fired Hank from the Opry, signed yep. Buddy Holly to Decca. Uh, his daddy was Bill Denny, who built Cedarwood into a big publishing company. And 
Jody's family was uh, part of the Martha White Flower family that was Opry mm-hmm. sponsors for forever. And Roger Sobine was Red Sobine's son. So I'm in this empty club doing an afternoon happy hour gig. And normally when, you, when you're playing for suits and the place isn't packed and the place isn't just rocking, the suits get up and walk out because you don't have anything going on. Why, why, why should they be there? And suits are notorious with the exception of Mitch and Jody and a few other people, Bob Thiel. They're, they're just notorious for just known for having just ears of stone. You know, they just, they can't hear anything. It takes a lot to move them, right? Right. It takes a lot to move them, and they're, and they're not easily impressed, and their whole thing is, I don't know, what do you think? So I'm picking at this thing, and I'm just, I'm on stage, and I'm looking out at these obvious music suits that I knew were coming, but I didn't know when, but obviously that's who they were. And I was like, and here I am, I'm playing in this empty club. This is my shot, and I, I blew it. I, I should have gotten friends from school something. We finished our set, and Jody came up to me, and he goes, I don't know if I've heard a set of stronger originals from somebody I've never heard of before, maybe in my life. Wow. What performance rights organization are you with? And I said, what's a performance rights organization? <laughs> Education time. <laughs> and he said, he said, I'm from BMI. And that was all of my records were predominantly from BMI songwriters. I loved Elvis. I loved Buddy Holly. I loved Willie. I loved Waylon. Uh, I love Ernest Tubb. I love Ray Price. And so all of these songs were written either by Harlan Howard or Ray Price or, 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 or uh, Roger Miller, or they were written by these artists that I love. BMI. And here's these suits from BMI. And I said, well, I, uh, uh, I, I'm not assigned to any, I'm not signed to anything. And he said, well, how old are you? And I said, I'm 19. He said, well, we'd need your folks to sign because <laughs> that'd be 21 <laughs> back then. But, uh, and what was so funny is the Wagoneers caught on so fast. These guys went back to Nashville and said, there's this band in Austin that writes all their own songs. There's this kid, and he's the songwriter. And, and then, like, I don't know, something like six weeks later, maybe, was the first South by Southwest. And there was this little tiny blurb on us in Rolling Stone that uh, John Fogarty got up and jammed with the band. I was in that band. I was at that gig. John Fogarty never got up and picked with the band. He came to our show, saved for three songs, and gave us two big thumbs up. And how that turned into him getting up and jamming with the band. But, you know, it's out of Liberty Balance, you know, when, when the truth meets the legend, pr- print the legend, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. so anyway, so right away we were this huge buzz band. And then the Cats from ASCAP came down. Actually, the Cats from ASCAP uh, flew me up to Nashville. Wine and dine me. We'd love to have you. We've got a long heritage, you know, Texas and da-da-da. Bob Wills was an ASCAP writer. And, uh, and I was talking to my grandfather, and I said, I said, I mean, ASCAP put me up at this big fancy hotel, the Lowe's there, and they took me out to a fancy supper, and I mean, you know, and, and the thing is, they, ASCAP and BMI and CSAC pay your mechanical, your, your, sorry, your performance those are the Those are the three. three those are the three big, per, yeah, the three PROs, ones. the big performance rights organizations. And you always go, well, which one pays more? Well, the thing is, really, they all pay about the same because if, if one paid more than the other, everybody would be over at the other one. So they all pay about the same. So it's usually it's the same money. So I was talking to my grandpa, and, and, and I said, but, you know, they both want me. And he said, well, now you're kind of hot. You know, they, they, everybody wants you. He said, I, I think about going with the one that was there and nobody else was there. What's that one called? BMI. And I said, BMI. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, that just feels right to me. And uh, I signed with BMI, and, and I have been with them since March of 1987. Well, obviously, they, if you're still with them, they treat you pretty well. They treat yeah. me great. They treat, I'll family. tell you a great story. It was my very first BMI check. It's just so awesome because your check, they're paid quarterly. They're every three months. And the Wagoneers were like shot out of a cannon, you know. So, like, one of the very first things we did was we had a top 40 record. And we did a Bob Hope NBC Christmas special. I never met Mr. Hope. We taped our segment, you know, here in town. And, you know, NBC cut it into the show. But it was broadcast. It was in everybody's living room. My very first BMI check comes nine months later. Back then, the lag was about nine months. In the 50s, it was 18 months. And what is it now? Like six? That's uh, two quarters. Yeah, two quarters yeah, back. six months. Yeah. yeah. So, Three you know, quarters, rather. It's, you know, so it was a nine-month lag. But, man, my first check. Never forget that. 7700 bucks. First check. I'm 20 years old. By God, and these come quarterly. Kabam. I spent that. I spent 
twice that. I was ready to go. What was the first thing you bought with it? Uh, I bought a car. Well, so I was pretty smart with it. Yeah. You know, and I bought some pointy-toed shoes and some gabardine <laughs> slacks, and, you know. And uh, fast forward three months later, my second check comes. Well, there hadn't been a top 40 record, and there hadn't been a Bob Hope special. My check was less than a hundred dollars, <laughs> and I called Colleen at the front desk. I said, "It's Monty Warden." Hey, darling, how are you doing? I said, "There's been a huge mistake. I just got my check." She goes, "Yeah." I said, "Well, it's like it's like ninety something bucks." She goes, "Uh huh." I said, "Well, the last one was like almost eight grand." And she smiled. She goes, "Welcome to country music, darling." <laughs> Hung up. That's the life of a songwriter, right there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great, and I had really, oh. I had spent that like it was on to come. I had to go borrow three grand from my dad just to yeah. pay my bills and stuff. But I never front end spent again. That that happens to a writer one time. That's a great go, lesson, though. Isn't you it? go, oh, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. But also, yeah. like 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 with BMI, um, we were talking before the show is is uh, BMI has such a strong uh, legacy in history with Nashville. And, and country music, and and with rhythm and blues and, and rock and roll, and and like when I when I first Mitch and I said when we come to town, town means Nashville. You know, we both right. talk the same way. <laughs> when I first went to town, it was unusual. Like if you met an ASCAP writer, they were either from L.A. or New York, or something was up. Every, I mean, because Roger Miller and Harlan Howard, everybody at Tree, everybody at Acre Froze were BMI writers. And you go, well, why is that? That That is the question that people always ask is, how did BMI make all those inroads? Well, ASCAP was the first one. ASCAP was the first performance rights organization. And uh, they were based out of New York, and they had all the pop writers, Irving Berlin, I mean, Cole Porter, Johnny Mercer, the pop writers. And they had all the jazz writers. They had both Gershwin brothers. And so... Uh, they, they were they they were the only game in town. They were the only thing there was. So, in fear of having federal monopoly uh, antitrust antitrust stuff kick in, BMI came along, and BMI was started by broadcasters. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Radio guys. So, but I mean, the difference between number one ASCAP and number two BMI in the '30s and '40s was like the difference between. Where I stand on the Dallas Cowboys depth chart. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty deep, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what Frances Preston did for... for Legendary. Legendary. What she did for songwriters. I I met her when I was 16 years old, member of Woe Trigger, and and she just told me, she just said, she just just always try to get better. And 10 years later, Guy Clark told me the same thing, always try to get better. But the fact, why would Miss Preston give a 16-year-old kid in a rockabilly band that she'd never heard or heard of the time of day because she was Frances Preston, and that's just who she was. Mm-hmm. She introduced me. It was all about the songwriters. Yeah, always about the songwriters. You know, she saw things in songwriters that they did not see in themselves yet. And that no suit saw. Oh, she she was just uh, uh, incredible. You know, and she explained to – she told me one day we were having lunch, and she, she explained to Elvis the lives he had changed. He said, he said yeah, I, I know I've – I put some money in their pocket. She goes, no, Elvis, you've sent generations to college that never finished high school. And she showed him some of those uh, royalty statements from people off of his hit records. He had no idea. He, and he just, and she said, you have changed lives here. White men, black men, you have changed lives. You've changed society. Miss Preston told that to Elvis, Elvis Presley. Presley. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you got a great job. Do you recruit songwriters? Sure do. So, you know, we kind of have four main objectives at the office here you know one is affiliate support you know like you know we we call our members affiliates um our songwriters and publishers and composers you know we represent composers as well like john williams who did et and star wars and harry potter and indiana jones and wrote all of those musical scores but you know we you know on a day-to-day basis i'm interacting with existing affiliates um i signed somebody up this morning that is starting to write songs and has never been affiliated wow. with a performance rights organization before. Um, I look for ways to build a brand here. Right. And that includes our monthly songwriter series at the Saxon Pub. Which, again, I mentioned it's, it's great. It's great oh, to it's showcase. Fantastic. Yeah. We have, uh, we've been 
you know, we started in August of 2019. We had a short break during COVID, and, you know, Joe Abel's um, – and you know Jody Weatherspoon over there, they have been absolutely we've got incredible to partners. Come in and yeah, talk. You need to get yeah. Joe here. Yeah, um, incredible. I can't stand that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he actually yeah. married Mitch. Yeah, he officially did he really? my wife's wedding. Sure did. So you can add Reverend to the first. <laughs> well, now you know, I know what to call Reverend him next time Joey. I see him. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we do that monthly songwriter series at Saxon Pub. We also have a a, a full band. Uh, pop rock indie rock showcase um, about three times a year then we you know have a rap and hip-hop showcase a couple times a year here in town as well you know that that genre is exploding here in Austin and you know that's the great thing about you know a company like BMI that that represents all genres is they're all here in Austin Austin yeah. is such uh, an eclectic it is eclectic uh, eclectic city of everything from blues to rock to country to you know there's a reggae band that I know and Everything in between. Do you, do you well, still I, think it's the live music capital of the world? Yeah, I do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think as long as the University of Texas is still here, you got every year you got twenty thousand eighteen-year-olds that have never been off the farm. Okay. And that as long as there will always be that infusion of youth and experimentation and, and exuberance that you're going to always have that. But let me just say also, not just on the, but as publishers, uh, BMI is is very supportive of what a publisher does. And, you know, a publisher protects the copyright. Publisher is the steward of the copyright. They, they go to bat for you, in other words. Basically, the, in layman's terms, the owner of the song. Yeah, they own, they okay. own the song. And, yep. and it's like, well, the, the publisher, publisher gets your money. It's also, the publisher also decides what doesn't happen to the song. If something, like if, if somebody wants to put your song in a, a political thing you don't agree with, with which you don't agree, or, or tobacco ad or alcohol ad, a publisher can protect that as well. And, and BMI is just so wonderful to publish. I'm going to tell you, 20 years ago next month, in, uh, so it was in March of 2003, Brandy was going to start a publishing company. third-generation music business. Her grandparents wrote hits. Her daddy wrote hits. Her uncles wrote hits. Her uncle worked for Elvis and Johnny Cash and all this. But ain't none of them ever been publishers before. And I had just been fired from Warner Brothers, Warner Chapel as a writer, so I needed... You know, right somewhere. Brandy always had the best ideas. So I said, well, I said, baby, you, you ought to be my publisher. She goes, well, I don't know anything about publishing. I went, well, what is there to know? We'll, we'll learn it. She goes, well, what if I don't get you any cuts? I said, well, I ain't getting any cuts now. <laughs> what well, you got to lose. Yeah, right. So anyway, so, so uh, she talked to Charlie Feldman, who was up in uh, BMI, New York. Legendary cat. Such a great guy. Great guys from Alabama. Just, just a phenomenal dude. And Charlie loved Brandy, loved me, and he just thought she was, when she moved down to Austin, was running Willie's Two Studios, he just said, you're, you're one of them. And, uh, and she, she said, well, Charlie, I, I mean, should I do this? He goes, yeah, of course you should do it. She goes, I, I, I don't know anything about it. She goes, you'll learn it. And, and, and he said, you'll be shocked. I'll never forget this. He said, you'll be shocked at your institutional knowledge, just stuff that just that you just don't even, you don't even know you know that you have learned working on the road for a decade and just being in your family. And she goes, yeah, but I just, you know, I'm just nervous about it. And he goes, well. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. How about this? And then he rattled off about five publishers that I won't name. They're uh, in Nashville and New York. And uh, he said, are those guys smarter than you? She went, oh, God, no. And he goes, you'll be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she started Mooncast right there. And it was the thing that made her decide to do it was, was that, one, that conversation with Charlie yeah. up in New York. Yeah. You know, it was just, just a phenomenal. When, when we got the word that desperately, just talk about personal relationships. We got the word that desperately was George's next single. And, and we also had word that they were putting a huge promotion. I mean, that's the thing about Desperately. It's a huge hit. It was a BMI Millionaire Award winning song. But to think contemporaneous to that time, Desperately was in the top ten three months. It, it, it wasn't just on the charts three months. It was in the top ten three months. It was just this churning earner. It was a money machine it for was a, It was for a while. And, and it, it timed. It was the third single off of George's record, so it was going to be a while till there was the first single off the next one. So the timing was good. So... MCA Nashville was going to work this single longer. We just got lucky. It was just the right time. So we're sitting at home, and we knew that we were nine months away from our, from our first check. And we were okay. I was picking enough to where we you know, didn't know, need to go get a loan or anything. So Charlie Feldman calls us. This, and this is, a, just a, this is a personal relationship. He goes, man, I just saw the ad in R&R. You know, George's next single, Desperately, written by Monty Ward and Bruce Robinson. He said, Congratulations. Thank you, because you have to remember, I signed with BMI when I was 19 and desperately became a single when I was 37. So I'd been with them 18 years, and this is my first. I'd had a couple of top 40 records. I'd had four different record deals, but this was my first lick. And the whole time, for 18 years, BMI treated me the same. You think about it. When you get hot and cold in this business, sometimes you get hot and sometimes you get frigid. BMI always took my calls. I could always get Jody on the phone. I can always talk to Mr. Sovine. So here's Charlie Feldman, way up in New York, big-time exec, and he's reading the ads in R&R that I've got a single coming out. I didn't call Charlie and tell him this. There, he called you. He called me. We just saw the congratulations. He said, and you know BMI doesn't do advances on singles anymore. I said, well, yes, sir. I know that. He goes, we do not do advances. I said, yes, sir, I know. He said, so don't even ask for one. I said, I won't. He goes, but what if we sent you 50 grand? (laughs) (laughs) What, did you take him up on the offer? Okay, okay. But it was just so funny the way he did it. It He had to get his wording just right. He goes, and it'll just come right off the top. I said, yeah, like anything else. And by God, it did. And changed my life. And, and, and. Nowhere in that story is it about be- Broadcast Music Incorporated, this big conglomerate, this big multi-billion dollar, blah, blah, blah. It's about people. Sounds like, you know, and there's so much more, because I remember as a kid picking up the vinyl and seeing BMI and not really understanding what it was. And then I get in radio, and you've got to fill out the, the, the quarterly logs right. for BMI. And, but to see the real side of it, with you, especially with you and your stories, but with Mitch right here, and understand that it's 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 so much more. Well, and and it's just let me tell you, it is no accident that BMI is here. They they have been they have been at every turn on my career. And and what I said three minutes ago, it's not when you're hot. You know, when Rolling Stone said I was the next big thing, everybody was calling. It's when you ain't got anything going on. It's when yeah. Rolling Stone said that two years ago, and you weren't the next big thing. And Jody Williams calls and he goes, "Hey man, are you still trying to get better? That's important." How's Van? Okay, how does Mitch give you encouragement as a songwriter? I, I hear from uh, and you can pipe in too on this. I thing, hear you know. from Mitch Ballard all the time. Like we're relationship, you know. Oh, we're, it's, we're well, it comes down to relationship. When, when right? Mitch yeah. and I finish a conversation, it's "I love you, brother." I mean, yeah. I love this man. I, I don't care if he worked at BMI or IBM. Because it's it's about people. Individuals yeah. matter. He's not the suit at BMI. He's my brother Mitch. And BMI would have no other person like that. Jody Williams told me when Jody Williams left BMI to start his publishing company just a couple years ago, two, three? Yeah. 
Yep, beginning of 2020. He said when he was VP of Writer Publisher Relations, he said his best move, this is Jody Williams, legend, legend in the music business, said his best move was hiring Mitch Ballard. Now, that's very, very impressive. Jody's legend, definitely. Yeah. And you're one in the making, Well, I think you're the perfect fit for Austin. I really do, you know. Having said that, this is when Mitch announces he's moving to Nashville. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. You're not going to do that, (laughs) are you? No, no. no, I got back home, man. We just got you here. they locked the gate when I got back in. But, you know, when I I was thinking about moving to Nashville, I'm talking about locking the gate, you know, Aaron Barker. Great Texan, big uh, hit, big hit songwriter, George Strait, Bluebell you know. jingle Blue writer, you know, yeah. all that. Oh, yeah. And um, anyway, he, uh, I was still in college at University of North Texas. He, uh, I was telling him I want to be a songwriter, and I was sitting on Dean Dillon's bus and talking to Aaron, and uh, in Mount Pleasant, Texas, I was working at K one hundred and one there, and uh, we were presenting the show. Aaron opened up for Aaron. Uh, Aaron opened up for uh, Dean, and um, he said, "Man, he goes, don't be afraid to." Don't be afraid to move to Nashville. He goes, you know, they don't lock the gate when you leave. He mm-hmm. said, you can always come back. And, uh, you know, he was one of the first first people that uh, I called when I got this BMI job. And, you know, I wasn't good at networking back then. I got off the bus and, and got back to my apartment and went, dang it, I didn't get, I didn't get Aaron's contact info. I, you know, I wanted to keep in touch with him. So I've been in Nashville probably about a year and a half, and there was a restaurant right off of Music Row, called the Longhorn, where everybody hung out. Yeah. And it's a chain, but there was a, a location right there in Music Row that's no longer a Longhorn. But that's where everybody hung out, and I walked in, and Irv Woolsey was standing there, George Strait's manager, and he was standing there with Aaron Barker. And I said, man, there's Aaron. And I said, I'm going to walk up and say hello to him. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'll probably have to remind him, you know, we met, and da-da-da, and I walked up, and Irv said hello, and, you know, we – we shook hands and because I knew Irv by that time. And Aaron turns and looks at me and he holds his arms out and he goes, "You did it!" <laughs> and gave, he instantly remembered and gave me a big hug. And he and I got to write together and we're still, you know, dear friends. But you know, this is the music business is a people business. Yeah, it's all and relationships. It is, and yeah. BMI has always been about the relationships with the songwriters. You always. know, when when COVID shut everything down, I sat at my apartment here in town. And no exaggeration, made over 200 calls to songwriters just to check on everybody, you know, because it's the first time, like I said, all the, the songwriters here are also the artists. And so they weren't able to, to do that part of their, their work, and, and we're losing that, you know, going to lose that part of their income. And I just went and called everybody and said, hey, if you need anything, let me know. That's, that's what this business, that's what we're about is, you know, what we call white glove service, and we want those – strong relationships with the songwriters and, and be here as a support mechanism. Well, and, and it is, it's one thing to say that, but you know, it is, uh, I've been with this performance rights organization since I was a teenager. And the thought of leaving BMI for CSAC or ASCAP is, is literally never entered my mind. That, that would be like, changing my my name or something these these people were there when nobody else believed in me these people believed in me at times in my career was i was having a hard time and believing in myself and and every single bit of success that i have been blessed to enjoy and i you know it's like it, what, what we always tell people and this was this is something i learned from mr sovine roger sovine was like i'm a bmi millionaire award-winning songwriter which means one of my songs has been played on the radio, terrestrial radio, over a million times. There are more people walking the earth today that have successfully transplanted the human heart than have earned a BMI Millionaire Award. So I'm in select company. And, it, and it's also, it's very subjective because it's like you say that, and then, you know, I've never seen a guy get a set of steak knives for Christmas and think he's a heart surgeon, but that same sandwich <laughs> gets a guitar, and six weeks later is Hank Williams. You know? <laughs> Uh, well, you know. but but I'll, but I'll just say that oh, that 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 when I'm gonna I ha- use that on the air I when, like I, when I have when I have achieved all of that success and the level of success that is very very rare. Yeah, BMI has been happy for me, like it happened to their very favorite songwriter ever. Well, like every family. single songwriter feels like. Oh man, I'm I, I'm Mitch's boy, man. Yeah. I'm I, man. I'm the one because 
and that, and that is the thread of if you're at Atlanta BMI or New York or Los Angeles or London. Uh, uh, we Brandy and I were in London in 2006. We get a call at our hotel. Phil Graham, there at the London office, asks us to supper. To this day, I have no idea how Phil <laughs> knew we were in London. And he just called. You know, it's just, I mean, it is it is customer service, people service. They yeah. know that there is no BMI without the songwriter and publisher. And uh, more importantly, I've never had to remind them of that. They've never let me forget that. Mitch, you got to love live music. You have to love the music industry, right? Oh, I do. You know, and, and I'm a picker, too. And I've actually played on stage here at the Broken Spoke. Have you? Well, yeah, t- t- let's Gary, talk about that. With Gary P. Nunn. Um, I was in town, I think it was 2016. Just came into town for a trip and hang out with some friends. And, and we knew Gary was playing at the Spoke. And I walked in, and Gary said, man, get up and play with me and, you know, sit in. And, and I did. And... Um, but you know, that, that live piece of it, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. You know, when you go see, you were talking about going to see Elvis, you know, here in Austin and, um, you know, that energy that comes out on stage. I remember my first show was Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, 1974, Merle Haggard. And, um, you know, I still remember, you know, what it was like seeing Merle Haggard come out and, you know, I remember this dude standing in a white circle, you know, that was the spotlight and. And I, I still remember that to this day, and it was—it's absolutely incredible. And there's nothing like that energy from a live show. And I walked—I did the walk with Irv one time behind George. Oh yeah, nothing Knox like that, Tunnel. huh? And when you and that curtain came open in the tunnel, and we walked out into that place, and you heard everybody just scream at the top of their lungs—the the energy and the noise and the effect that that one guy. When he came walking in to that basketball arena at you know University of Tennessee campus, it was, there's nothing like it, and there's nothing like going to see a sleep at the wheel with twelve pickers on stage playing Western Swing. That's and they're tight in the parts they play, and and those those pieces that go together that make a band tight and make that live show. Uh, want people to come back, make people want to go to the dance halls, mm-hmm. made people want to go to the dance halls to begin with. Well, yeah. so much of it where I think where BMI comes in also is like, and Mitch and I were talking about this a couple of days ago on the phone, it's like, as a songwriter, you can you can have an A&R guy at the label, you can have a publisher that sold millions of records, you can have your top execs at BMI bounce songs off of you, but there is no greater A&R department, artists and repertoire, people that tell you what you're doing is good, what you're doing ain't any good. Honestly. Is, than an audience. I well, mean, and when you when you unveil a new song with the Broken Spoke, the Wagoneers play a new song with Broken Spoke, and 600 people dance to it, there's something there. We unveil a new song with Broken Spoke, and 600 people don't. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. That one didn't work. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And sometimes you do not know. And the greatest, the greatest A&R department are your fans at a live show. And that's what, for me, just was so disheartening that we didn't have for over a year and a half with those ridiculous lockdowns, particularly right. for a live a live act. You know, forget that I make my living that way. I, I need to know what works and what doesn't that way. It would, and that's what I've depended on since I was 14. And, and BMI understands the importance of being a songwriter, unveiling a new song, and the best place to do that is at a gig. It is. Yeah, no, there's that, the feedback. There's just no, yeah. there's nothing else, and the audience will never kiss your ass and bullshit you, and it either works or it doesn't, and uh, you just got to keep hopefully doing more things that work that don't, and you can string that together and look up and you have a career. You know, there you go, and and that was really very much in the '60s, '70s, '80s part of a especially the live country music culture is they would go out and play new songs. Just to test them out, see what people thought. You know, there's there's old radio shows of you know talking about George Strait of him, you know, doing some songs. Hey, here's here's a new one we're thinking about putting on our next album, and he plays it. And they watched, you know, the the reaction from the audience. And does it put them out on the dance floor when you're down here? Does it put them out on the dance floor? Right. Well, that's all we had. We had Tom Foot on the other day, and he, remember he said that mm-hmm. first time they did Amarillo by Morning, they were proud it was just like, oh. Yeah. Well, that's different. We, we got something. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and as a picker, you go, you know, I don't know. I'm looking down at the chord chart. Okay, that's cool. There's a there's a three minor. That's a little unusual, you know. 
But you, you do not know, and then the audience will tell you, and you just go, oh, okay, thank you. That's it. And They'll let you know. Only live will do that. And, and the thing is, Mitch Ballard is here. Not He's not down from Nashville. He's not here during South By. He's over there on South Congress with at the BMI office. BMI Texas, BMI Austin, BMI. What do y'all call it? We cover Texas, but right. you know we're in Austin. But what do you um, like? What do you call it? Or is BMI. it just BMI? I call it the the Texas office. Yeah, Texas. That's know? what I call it. Yeah, that's what I say. And um, you know that's what our hashtag is on social media is BMI Texas because we deal a lot with, you know, Houston, right? You know, Love Dallas, it. Fort Worth, yeah. and all of them. Uh, you know, all over. We you know we'll get calls and and I'll I'll work with people from from you know El Paso to Beaumont and. Amen. Amarillo down to Brownsville. Amen. So and everything in between. A lot yeah. of territory. Well, and, 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 and it's it's just as a songwriter, just and as a kid that just used to dream about. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One day having a song on a record with BMI after his name, you know, it's just, just thank you. Well, thank you. You know, it's as, as, as an artist... Usually a performance rights organization is the longest professional relationship you have. You know, record labels change, managers, booking agents change, publishers. but publishers change, but almost always, here we are sitting in the Willie booth at the Broken Spoke. We've been in business 84 years, and Willie has been with us 64 of those 84 years. And Willie's had different record labels, different publishers, different managers, different booking agents. Different wives, but that's the one thing that's constant. <laughs> one performance rights organization. That's a great you know, yeah. 64 that's a, of our 84 years that we've been in business, Willie's been with us. That's a great And the whole Nelson home. family, every, yeah. all the Nelson family's with us. Right. And, and we love that. And we love that legacy. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's Willie's been with us for so long. Why wouldn't. You know, Lucas and Micah and Well, that's Amy what I was going to say. That's, 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 that's a great commitment. Well, that's, and, and that's know, a Brandy's third point. generation BMI. And, and I'll tell you even a, a different story about kind of just a converse. Uh, Buddy Holly was signed to BMI. And, and by the grace of God, I've gotten to know the Holly family very well, the family in Lubbock. We call them the EYs because he signed his – or his family name was H-O-L-L-E-Y. So in the business, the Lubbock family is called the EYs. And then there's the Crickets and then there's the, the Widow in Dallas. And uh, when Buddy's manager, Buddy was signed to BMI, and uh, Thea Zavin so, uh, signed Buddy, Murray Deutsch signed Buddy to BMI, and uh, and it was kind of a neat deal because, because Buddy's first go-around in the music business was in Nashville, and it was not successful at all. Buddy Holly's only abject failure was making country records. And uh, when That'll Be the Day uh, went number one, uh, and... Buddy had been on DECA. Paul Cohen at DECA dropped Buddy Holly. Said, DECA wouldn't want you. To hell with you, you ain't no good. And then Buddy went to sign with Brunswick and Carl, which were subsidiaries of DECA. But anyway, when Battle of the Day went number one, and Buddy Holly during his life received his one and only BMI award. He's at the 1958 BMI Supper, getting the awards for the songs in 1957. Jim Denny made sure that who handed Buddy his BMI award, but Paul Cohen. Little <laughs> <laughs> revenge so, there, weren't so, you? Yeah. So Buddy yeah. loved BMI. My point is, when Paul McCartney bought uh, the songs from Norman Petty, Buddy's manager, in 1974, uh, Paul, posthumously, because it was 1974, he was Paul McCartney, he could do it. He changed Buddy's performance rights home from BMI to ASCAP, because Paul was ASCAP. And, and his publishing company, MPL, most of his contacts and relationships were with ASCAP people. So he switched Buddy posthumously. Remember, Buddy signed with BMI. With BMI. And Paul switched him. And uh, Buddy's brother Larry told me Mrs. Holly, the mom, called. Only time she ever called him. She called MPL in New York and uh, spoke uh, with, uh, with one, of the, uh, one of the family up there and said, uh, Buddy would not have liked that. We'd appreciate it if you put him back to BMI because she knew the relationship. They didn't, but 
his mama called because he was a BMI writer. Yeah, it's all That's about how, relationships. It's all about relationships. Do you uh, okay? Do you recruit new songwriters? When you yeah. Go out and see oh yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. You know, I've, I go out to places. I, I'm out. You know, I joke that I'm out eight nights a week, and right. um, you know, if I find people that are that I think are talent, you know, that that impress me and have the talent, I'll walk up and introduce myself and mm-hmm. ask if they're with, you know, performance rights organization, and um, you know, and if not, you know, ask them if they are with BMI. I go, hey, I'd just love for you to come to the office, yeah. get to know you, and hear what and you're doing. Hey. And it, a big piece of it too, Bob, is just it's watching. And being a part and helping as these careers develop, and seeing the growth Amen. of them, yeah, that's got yeah. that's got to be the payoff, right? There. Especially when you see a song go yep. to number that's one, it. you know. Well, and, and, and also I'll say that there, there's there's something called BMI Live. ASCAP is something called ASCAP on stage. I don't know the CSAC program; they'd have to have one too. I would think. Yeah, I think so. But and what it does, it pays you for your gigs, it pays you songs with your gigs, and for years, Europe paid songwriters. Uh, what we picked live, like you'd go pick overseas and you'd turn in your set list. Right. Now, in the U.S., we have the same thing. But what is so important for BMI Live for a young writer is you don't have to have a hit to get paid, to, 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 get, to receive some royalties. If you pick your song live, turn in your set list to BMI Live, yep. and it might be 30 cents put in your account, but by God, you have been paid as a songwriter, not as a picker, not for your live stuff. You've been paid out of the same pot that that you know pays Willie Nelson. Yeah, that's you know that's and, a, that's the songwriter and and you know the revenue stream of songwriting and publishing is pennies and fractions of pennies. And always I tell has these been. songwriters it always has been. You know, as the songwriter, and you know, and nowadays one stream is like one raindrop. That's not a lot of water, but a hit song is a thunderstorm. It's still made up of individual raindrops that are being streamed so much, is being played on the radio so much, that it turns into a significant amount of water. And where some of the rain has fallen is BMI Live. And, and I help educate these, these artists that you need to register your songs, you need to sign up for direct deposit, you need to participate in BMI Live to make sure you're catching all the raindrops that are coming yeah. down that you're Amen. due. And it can turn around and add up. It's, it's a great it's, analogy. And it's a writer's responsibility. Unless you have a publishing deal, it's a writer's individual responsibility to protect their property. And just like if it was your house, if it yeah. was your, your your yard, you'd make sure you knew everything that was going on. And, and the BMI Live, like like Mitch said, it's it is just a few pennies. And the and my God, how how we've been here almost an hour and haven't talked about this. The importance that has been stressed on me since I was a teenager from BMI. Register your songs mm-hmm. as you write them. Protect them. Well, and, yes, and protect yourself. Uh, about fifteen years ago, we had a thing come in from a, a network show. Wanted to use a song of mine. I'd written with this buddy of mine up in Dallas. And, and network licenses happen fast because yep. it is, they're going to license okay, it on what's Wednesday. A, what's a network license? Explain it to me. Uh, like a sync license. The, the, the right to use your song in a TV show. Okay, okay. And this song was going to be uh, played uh, in the background, but a, a, an a, it was an A license, meaning it was prominent. It wasn't used as a background. It was actually part of the scene. Going to be so featured, yeah. So a, a few, what, probably three grand, probably three or four grand, something like that. Yeah, know. it's a negotiated rate. Yeah, but, but a real check. Mm-hmm. I had had my song registered. I'm ready to go. My co-writer had not registered a song. I said, it'll, it'll be done by the end of the day. She said, I got to put this license to bed. And they moved on to the next song. Oh. Oh, you missed out. Well, yeah. And now the law's changed. You just need one to license it. But the point is, register your songs as you write them. It can't hurt you to register them. Right. Well, and the thing is, too, if you haven't released them commercially, but you play them out live, Right. You can you can input them in BMI Live and you get and paid get on paid. a song that's not commercially released. And here's the thing too: so there are three registered Mitch Ballard songwriters, and they all happen to be with BMI. There's one in New Jersey, of course, me, and one in California who I actually know the guy. And we joked that one day we need to write a song and say, "Who'd you write that with?" Well, I wrote it with Mitch Ballard. But you know, so if I don't register a song. And it's being streamed on Spotify. At the end of the quarter, Spotify sends that data to ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. And and they'll all come back and go, BMI will go, well, we have three Mitch Ballards, but we don't have a song called Sitting in Booth B2 that you've sent us the data for. And so we don't know. That could be because there's more than three Mitch Ballards on this planet. And so they don't know. 
it, they, and they don't they're not going to just turn around and, and and pay some you know somebody with the same name it has to be registered in the account if it comes back and they go oh yeah well mitch ballard in austin texas has a song called Sit in Booth B2. That's how we pay him. That's how we pay him. So you have to have that. That's you know, the administrative side of songwriting. That's the business side of songwriting, which is, you know, it's, it's you're oftentimes you're so busy being creative, and that's what makes these songs and what makes you a great on stage and, and great picker, but that knowing that you need to take care of that business side of it so you get accurately paid is just as important. Yeah, of course. It, it, that's the main thing. Well, and, yeah. and, and the, the integrity of the copyright is is paramount. And that's why I tell people either you need to put on your publishing hat and become a publisher or go get you somebody that'll do that. Because it is, and, and copyright mm -hmm. law is changing all the time as we get deeper into the information age. And it's important to know your business like you would, like yep. you would any other business. Well, and, and you look at these, these songs as well. Um, this intellectual property still generates money after the songwriter has passed away. Yeah. And so, you know, that needs to be part of your estate planning. And, you know, and, and you take, you know, we, we have Michael Jackson, for example, and that his songs are still generating money. And, you know, it is in his estate planning, whoever that money is going to, um, you know, gets it. And the copyright is good for Life plus 75. 75 years after yeah. the last after surviving. After the last surviving, yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, so like the, the clock didn't start on John Lennon in 1980. The clock will start on John Lennon when Paul McCartney passes. Exactly, on the songs they wrote, you know, together. So, yeah. and, and after that, they go into public domain, which I think Rhapsody in Blue just went into yeah, public it domain. It did. But, you know, that's whole other part of, of the songwriting piece of it. But, you know, so this money, you know, can, if you have, if you have significant success as a songwriter, that is something that your kids, grandkids, your you know your spouse, whoever, um, can still make money after you've passed away, and these songs are still being played on the radio, still being streamed. There's still revenue coming in, and they're, they're easier to track nowadays than they were, say, 10, 15 Absolutely. years yeah. ago. They are. Right. Yeah. Keep an accurate count. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just you know talking about working with BJ. You know, he, he gave me a, a gold record for Raindrops. He's falling on my head, and he handed it, presented it to me. He goes. These are just the ones that counted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This has been very educational. Now, if somebody wants to find out more about BMI and more about Mitch Ballard, what would they need to do? BMI.com. Uh, okay. and, and let me just say this. Yeah. For a Luddite like me, great website. Really yep. user-friendly. Yeah. yeah, and there's yeah. a whole creator section and, you know, frequently asked questions and these things. So if somebody's new to songwriting and they, and, and they want to understand more about what a performance rights organization does, they can go to these sections of our website and read what they get paid on, how royalties are paid. There's career advice, you know, outside of the songwriting side of it that you can go read about tips from hit songwriters and interviews and things like that. So it's BMI.com. Um, we have an office email address here, which is austin at bmi.com, and BMI has an open-door policy, you know. Yeah. We'd love to, you know, we, we're happy to meet with anybody who wants to come sit with us. And I can tell you, anytime you're at a music event in Austin and you see a guy wearing a BMI ball cap, chances are it's going to be Mitch. <laughs> right. Walk know? up to him, say hi to the friendliest guy yeah. in the world. Right yeah. I started wearing people. the BMI ball cap when venues started open back up and you had to wear a mask. And go. that was... You know, that was my way of of reconnecting with people when venues were open back up. Yeah. They saw the BMI cap. Good and but and it's, it's great because you, we know you're there. That's it. You know, that's yeah. it. So, yeah. Hope exactly. you enjoyed this. Will you come back? I would love to come with BJ? back. Okay. You know, I love talking about music. I love talking about especially Texas and Texas music and would be more than happy to come back and, and talk. You know what the dream podcast would be? For Mitch to come back and have Gary Pinon join us. It'd be fantastic. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. yeah. I, I presented him with a millionaire play certificate for uh, last thing I needed first thing this morning. Oh, I love that cut. song. Yeah. Sure <laughs> did. You know, that's, uh, we have these million, you know, so when Monty was talking about a millionaire play, and I'll be short because I know we're trying to wrap up here, but, you know, average hit song is three to three and a half minutes long. And so if you went home and put desperately on repeat at your house, it would take six years for it to play one million times. And so we have these certificates, a one million airplay certificate, two million, three million. That means it's been played a million times on terrestrial radio. And Django was talking on the podcast not too long ago. We presented a six million um, for Mr. Bojangles, 
Mark James, I gave him a nine million for Hooked on a Feeling, a nine million for Suspicious Minds, and a six million for uh, You Were Always on My Mind, all in the same night. Wow. And, um, you know, so. Yeah. Nine million. Oh, Monty's eyes are huge, right? He's uh, thinking. Well, He's well, thinking. Yeah, yeah. That's the whole thing is those songs transcend everything, you yeah. know, and, and, and that's the whole thing. I, I think it's like, if I'm not mistaken, and this might have been from years ago, but one, like a, a two millionaire award is, and, the, and I think this is with the Songwriters Hall of Fame, is that a song is officially designated a classic because they know it has transcended enough of the market to where if it's been played two million. It's a classic It's going to be around forever. Crossfire. Yeah. Right. Crossfire. Right. You know, Bill Carter and Chris and, Layton and, Ruth. and right. Ruth and such. You know, living here in Austin, I presented them with, you know, a two million. Right. Um, you know, Bruce has had, you know, multiples. And David Lee lives out in Spring Branch, has had multiples. There's, right. there's a lot of hit songwriters yeah. tucked around. Susan Gibson, right. you know, out yeah. in Wimberley. And yeah. So. God, I wish I was a songwriter instead of a radio guy. Well. <laughs> Well, we need you too, baby. <laughs> it's an honor to play the songs. But I tell you, the, the real honor of this podcast is getting behind the nuts and bolts and realizing basically what it is, what it boils down to, to relationships. It's all yeah. about life. It all comes down to relationships. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. So. With anything else. Yeah. You know? Thank you again for coming in. Oh, thank you, Monty. God we look thank forward to well. more Tales from Broken Spoke on the way. Tales from the Broken Spoke is recorded live at the Broken Spoke in Austin, Texas. Hosted by Country Radio Hall of Fame broadcaster Bob Pickett and Monty Warden. Recorded, mixed down, and produced by Mike Rivera. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.